Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and today's Intern Whisper Tip of the Week is you want to ensure that you're maximizing the value of your team by providing multi-generational workforce training. What that means is there are many different learning and training strategies that you can use to capitalize on your workforce is staying competitive. Even though older generations have plenty of experience under their belt, don't assume they don't need training or coaching. Similarly, don't take it for granted that all younger employees are up to date and current with technologies in your industry. It's better to create a customized employee development plan that allows each person to add maximum value to the team. And here's an example. I may know how to use my iPhone a certain way to be able to communicate, whether through text, but there's a little button and you can push this button to create a voice message that goes instead of using texting. Sometimes that is something that a younger generation or a different generation may know how to use. These are all good things. They help us to be smarter and be open to learning. Welcome to the Interim Whisper. The show is all about our future of work and innovation. And today's guest is Matt Brown with Scoots. So I'm so excited to have you here, Matt. And I know we're doing this as a takeover. I'm just going to put it out there for our listeners to know that, hey, stuff happens in in this, but your attitude is so positive, And I want everyone to know that I'm very grateful for you accommodating this a second time. It is my pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. So we're going to kick off the show with five words that you use to describe you. And I've got those words so I can prompt you if needed, but you know, you can go ahead and jump into curious. Um, all right. So my, my five words are curious, optimistic, inclusive, adaptable, and joy. Mm. And, um, I, I enjoy maybe should be the first one, but, uh, right. There are no particular order. <laughs> yeah, they're not. So you can go in whatever order you want to go in. <laughs> so I, uh, curious is one of these words that I have, have really clung to for a, a majority of my life. And it, it describes me to a T and that I am perpetually curious. I never stop learning. I never stop trying to seek new perspectives. I never stop trying to challenge myself. Um, with what I know, with what I believe. Um, every time I interact with people who have different perspectives, different ideas, different experiences, I come away better. And so I I am eternally curious, uh, sometimes to a fault. I, I was that kid who maybe took some things apart and put them back together when I was bored. My parents were constantly on the high alert. Um, but it, that curiosity is just such a valuable part of who I am. Are you an only child? I am a middle child. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking maybe, maybe you were the only child. And so your parents were super, super accommodating because, well, this is our child, but middle child is a good one to be. It's um, I, I, I taught my parents a lot. Well, I think um, the first one usually does. So you get away with more. <laughs> I, I maybe challenged them more than they expected, and it, it made it even more difficult for my youngest sibling, uh, who came after me, because I rewrote all the rules. I, I mm. did the things that my older sibling didn't do, 
so there was a lot of firsts with me. I see. They must be sisters then. <laughs> um, older sister, younger brother. Mm, okay. Yeah. Your younger brother's going, man, you ruined it for me. <laughs> Can't get away with anything. The baby is supposed to be able to get away with everything, but no, no, Matt took that away. Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, that's okay. Totally good. Okay. So your second word, optimistic. Optimistic. Um, I, I, I chose this word. I am eternally hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I always seek to find the positive in every situation and every interaction with a person, um, even when there are things that are opposite for me, things that um, I don't understand, things that I challenge, or uh, whatever the case may be, even the, the worst of situations, there's always something to be learned, which kind of connects back to that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And um, optimism is a choice. And it's, it's a choice that we have to make every day. Mm-hmm. And I am, I would say about 20 to 25 years into my chosen life of optimism. And it has served me well. It has allowed me to navigate some very, very bizarre circumstances. Uh, and, and I always find that I have more energy and more excitement, more enthusiasm about everything because of my optimism. That is a very good attribute to have for sure. Characteristic. Uh, next one is inclusive. Um, it, it, I think one of the things we'll see is that all five of my words and the general themes all have some really strong correlation or linkage uh, from an inclusive perspective it touches what I've talked about with optimism and with curiosity and that I always strive to learn more. I have found so much value when I open myself to different perspectives, when I open myself to try and understand different experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I, as I go through every one of those moments, it just reinforces my desire to try and always be open and inclusive, inviting all perspectives, all mindsets, um, all opinions, uh, they're not all going to be pretty. They're not all going to be received with a, a, a glowing smile and, yep, let's go with that. But they all give me an opportunity to go back and sort of reflect. Mm. And it's when I have those moments of reflection that I see how I can make myself better today than I was yesterday. You know what I like about what you're sharing there is, well, you know, we know that ever since COVID and, and George Floyd's death, there's been a heightened awareness about diversity and inclusion. And when you're talking about being inclusive and the fact that you said all opinions, everything that is not what we typically think of as inclusion, which usually falls under race, ethnicity, gender, you know, maybe age, maybe disabilities, because for the most part, people focus on race and ethnicity. You know, hopefully gender too. But um, all of those things are matter. Uh, matter. And I believe when you're saying that is every, every human is unique. And so if we, as people in training and learning realize that um, education was created to go from one type of industry and generation and take us into a scalable model, but now it's all about customization and how each person is unique Yes, there are categories that we all will fall into, but that still does not mean that we treat that as a systemized way of uh, learning. Yes, it was. um, 
actually when I um, when I exited my we'll call it my K through 12 experience mm-hmm. is really when this part of my brain activated from an inclusivity perspective. It's when I was able to break out of that, uh, the model, which was designed in many ways as a one size fits all yeah. model, which is right. Try to get to the masses, which, which I understand the origins and, and we're on a journey to evolve that. But it's when I got out of that environment that I really started to find value and and actively celebrate the opportunity to be exposed to different perspectives and experiences and mindsets. It's, it's helped me to stay open to all that is possible in the world, not just the limits that I put on myself. Mm, I like that. So very, very much. Um, it reminds me of an article um, that's called uh, think like a scientist and I'm, I'm looking up the uh, gentleman that wrote it. I, I reached out to him and I said, Hey, can I, can I use your article on my blog page? And he said, yes. And this was like, you know, three, three years ago, I think. So I'm going to look it up while we're sitting here talking about talking about it. But um, I think it's significant because what you're pulling in is all of your keywords that you still haven't finished, but the ones that you're, you talked about is how a scientist is always open to all possibilities and you have to eliminate, eliminate, eliminate until you get to, this is a solution. Yes. And many times the solutions we find are not the solutions we expected to find, which is where, where the beauty lies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. So adaptable. Um, Adaptable is one of my most cherished skills. Um, And it, it is a skill that I have actively worked on for a large part of my life. Um, The reason that it made it into my top five is if I have learned nothing else in this life, Mm -hmm. I have learned that I have been able to be my best. I have been able to experience some of the most incredibly rewarding experiences due to my ability to adapt Mm -hmm. Um, in times of difficulty in changing conditions, different circumstances, um, and being able to adapt with that spirit of optimism fully present is is kind of a right that's like the free gift with purchase um (laughs) because it allows me to not only adapt but i'm curious about what's happening while i'm adapting i'm curious about what's on the other side of that change Mm -hmm. and uh, i've learned over the years that not everybody is comfortable with adapting not everybody uh, possesses the ability to adapt um, because they've not had an opportunity to to develop the skill, they've not been encouraged to develop it. Um, I I look at my life journey, and there were things that have occurred in my life which, on paper, might have felt very negative, very overwhelming. But it's I celebrate how it taught me to adapt, and how that has fueled my growth as a human being. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm loving this. So the article, I found it on my blog page, uh, the Employers for Change blog blog page. It's Think Like a Scientist. That was his original article, but I had rewritten it, How to Become Indispensable by Thinking Like a Scientist. Uh, his name is Justin Zackel, Z-A-C-K-A-L, uh, just for our listeners. And I'm going to give a big shout out for him also, because like that was, that was when I read his article, it really 
just like the words you're describing. I'm sitting here going, you two are like so similar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going, those are key words that every scientist would be using for sure. And measure, measure everything, pretty sure. Yes. And and my measurement comes in the form of my fifth word, which is joy. Yes. See see what I did there? See what I did there? Yes, I see what you did. Why joy? Give us a little bit more expansion on joy. Because joy, you love learning. I, I, I love, um, I love learning. I just, I love being happy and much like optimism is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Mm -hmm. People don't make you happy. Things don't make you happy. We, we let ourselves believe that's the case, but we are the ones who control that emotion. We're the ones who control what makes us happy. What makes us angry. It's how we react or respond. And I, for my entire life have made it a mission every single day to find something to celebrate something to acknowledge brought me joy in the day and I don't go to bed until that happens and usually uh, my first moment of celebrating joy happens in the first two to three hours of my day Mm. which is a beautiful thing and what I've found is is over the years, I have managed to hone and refine my observation skills. So I am able to see those moments when they happen. And sometimes they're disconnected and, and my brain wants to hold out on the celebration until I know the why, mm-hmm. whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, right? It's like, well, until I know why that happened, I don't really want to get excited about it. But I threw that out and just started living from moment to moment of, you know what, that was a by itself self-contained that was a moment that brought me joy so i'm going to celebrate that because i don't know what the next moment's going to bring and when you have moments that are not joyful you can connect back to those recent memories of joy and it just uh, whether it is joy in my own life or whether it is observing that i have been able to contribute in some way to someone else experiencing a moment of joy um it it fuels me i think we all need happiness and uh, we should all be open to celebrating happiness. And I think for for too long, I've witnessed people that have shared with me, they almost feel guilty mm. for for celebrating those moments of happiness or joy. And so that's another one of the reasons why it hits in my top five, because it's it is a high on my priority list. Gotcha. So uh, you said, you said this several times that these are all choices and I absolutely agree. You know, we, we choose to get over something quickly. If it's caused us pain, we can choose to um, celebrate. You've used that word many times. And I feel like most people don't do that. So you uh, are definitely in the present when you're with people. Yes. And I, I still have my, my opportunities where I find myself not being present. And uh, that usually starts to trend in the direction where I'm not feeling joy, or I am not as easily able to find my path to optimism. And, and so I've learned how to, to observe those signals and honor them and, and not suppress them so that I can try to be present at all times. Cause this is the moment we're in. Um, the moment that just passed, I can't go back and rewrite. I can't undo it. I can learn from it, but I can't erase it. Um, and if I am present, then I am able to be more mindful about what comes next. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. 
So um, I don't know if I asked this before, but are you a faith-based person? I am. Yeah. So most of these words, because I am, I usually tell people I'm a Jesus girl with a potty mouth. I just throw it out there so they know exactly what they're getting. And, you know, if they're having any kind of a friendship relationship, anything with me, I go, let me just tell you, you know, this is where I am. And I teach Sunday school. So I know what to say and what not to say, to be clear, you know, to three-year-olds. But that said, a lot of the words that you've shared were all faith-based words that I go to a non-denominational church and it's very Jesus-filled. And I'm not afraid to like put that out there for people to know, but it, I'm sitting here going, I'm feeling the vibe. I definitely am feeling that vibe. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. I will. Uh, I commit to never stop. Yeah. That is so good. <laughs> So what has your career journey been like? You know, where did you go to school, college more specifically than, you know, elementary? You don't have to go that far back, <laughs> but, you know, and here you are the chief people and culture officer over at Scoofs. So tell us what that journey has been like. Let our listeners know, because this is how they also get inspiration and learn from others. It, uh, my, my career journey has definitely been an interesting one. Um, there is, is a, I should acknowledge that life happens yeah. and we, we rarely end up going down the road we imagine and that it could not be more true with my own story. Um, I graduated high school, had intentions right into college, kind of right following the footprint we were all raised with. You go to school, you graduate high school, you go to college. In my freshman year of college, I had some health issues that caused me to um, have to make some hard decisions. And I chose to exit at that time and go into the workforce. Um, I got my start in the workforce as a self-taught graphic designer. Mm. Um, again, right. I'm curious. I always want to learn. I've never met a piece of software that I can't understand and, and figure out with just patience and understanding. Um, and that led me down some interesting opportunities. So that self-taught graphic designer that turned into some freelance work. And then I got into more of a corporate environment um, as, a, as a data processor. And then quickly that turned into project management um, because my the way my brain works, um, I like high volumes of change. I like, uh, I, I don't find that I can easily stay focused in the repetitive functions or, or, or situations. And so I, I like change and project management was a great answer to that. Um, everything's different. And from project management and a couple of different industries, I found my way with my technical skills, I found my way into learning technology. And that opened my eyes to learning and development. It reignited my passion for learning. Um, I uh, then from that learning and development, roles that I that I occupied, I was able to see the the broader picture of how learning and HR could fit together. And that propelled me to want to go deeper into HR. Um, along the way, I took a, a stop at a leadership role in an IT function and uh, a leadership role in a marketing capacity. And ultimately now, chief people and culture officer. Along that wild adventure, um, back in 2015, I re-enrolled in college 
uh, re-enrolled and obtained my bachelor's in HR management, uh, which was fascinating for so many reasons, but most notably the program at the time in my life when I interacted with it reignited my passion for learning. I had chosen to believe my whole life that I didn't love learning. And what I realized is I didn't love the institutional approach that was in more of a one size fits all because I learn differently. I learn in many cases at a faster pace and that causes me to get frustrated and disengaged when you tell me that I can only read five pages today when I know that I could read 25 pages in that same time with comprehension and the my experience in college uh, through Western Governors University, which is more of a competency-based uh, program, allowed me to really lean into how I learn. And I was able to accelerate the program to suit my needs. I was able to slow down at times when I needed to slow down, but I was in the driver's seat of that experience, which... Uh, allowed me to thrive and really understand how I learn Mm -hmm. and ultimately how to find that passion and bring it into everything I do. Hmm. Um, You know, in, in public schools and, you know, colleges, we usually categorize people based on ability levels. Normally it's in, you know, anything that's a public school. Well, they do it in private schools too, K through 12. So there's a reason and, you know, the reasoning makes sense to me. Um, But I also know that there's exceptions to every rule, right? And the fact that you were learning so fast, I was thinking, and we didn't ever discuss this before. So I'm throwing something new at you. Um, Is I was wondering if you were ever diagnosed as being gifted and maybe you were supposed to be in a different track that would have given you more challenges when you were in maybe, you know, middle or high school. I, uh, I love, I love the unexpected. Um, so I, I actually, um, in my transition from kindergarten to first grade, I was put through some testing and they did identify me as uh, gifted and talented in, in scope of the primary secondary education model. And so my first grade, I spent half the time from first grade all the way through the rest of school, I would spend a part of my day in the regular classroom and another part of my day in an accelerated program. Yeah. So and, enrichment, but you were also mainstreamed. Yes. And I think that that helped quite a bit. Uh, looking back, I also think it was a contributing factor to me not understanding my relationship with learning until I was much older. Yeah. Uh, because that, that allowed me to flex in some ways that allowed me to explore those other areas. So I wasn't as confined. Mm-hmm. by the curriculum for first grade or the curriculum for second grade, I was able to take on bigger things and really challenge myself. But uh, when you take that out of the equation, everything just got muted very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You enjoyed and, school more than books or was it opposite for you? Um, definitely enjoy people more than books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am uh, now just in the last six to eight months, I have reconnected with reading. Um, I also, as a, as a kid, was diagnosed ADHD. And so that brings right challenges with focus. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot. We, we didn't choose a course of putting me on medication. And so we managed it by 
my activities and we understood that when I was busy, when I was fully occupied at all times, I was able to keep it focused. My brain was able to sort the information and, and keep where I need to keep focused and get tasks accomplished. But in absence of that uh, distraction is ultimately what gave my parents every gray hair they ever mm -hmm. got on their head and uh, taught all those around me <laughs> a lot of valuable lessons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what usually happens with kids that have ADHD, they're really good if you can keep them, um, tire them out because that helps to tire the mind out. Right. And then keep them in sports, keep them also in, like you said, activities. So it could be in, in, um, things that are not just sports. It could be something that's a club oriented, could be in uh, music, different ways that they can express who they are and and just channel that energy into something that's positive yes there were no shortage um I, I was very active in sports but also very active in all the other activities and clubs and it was uh, when i entered into my freshman year in college and had the health issues i had to make some decisions um to to stay the course and just pare back my physical activities and all of those extracurriculars, uh, curricula, uh, extracurricular activities, or take a full exit. And when I weighed the options for me, when you take away all of those other things, that's at the time, that's really what was fueling my interest and my desire to stay. Um, it wasn't the process of learning as it was designed for the reasons that I had mentioned. Mm hmm. Yep. Totally get it. Uh, let's see. So chief people and culture, what is, what are your responsibilities? I'm curious because I met you at uh, a lot of conferences twice. <laughs> so, you know, we, we travel in the same circuit of technology, of education, of anything that's in HR. So we'll see each other a lot more. I'm confident. Yes. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, uh, so you. we, um, at Scoops, we were very deliberate in how we titled the the role because it signals what where we really place our focus and our emphasis. Mm -hmm. um, included in the scope of chief people and culture officer are all of the traditional HR responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, so everything from a functional HR perspective, in addition to learning and talent development. Mm -hmm. um, but we take it a step further. So that really encompasses the people part. Um, we're very passionate about building and nurturing a culture that is people focused, that encourages diversity and thought, that encourages people to find or connect with their passion for learning. And uh, so we do a lot of work outside of that traditional HR spectrum designed to uh, amplify some of these components in our culture. And uh, so that's high level. That's what goes into it. So it's HR plus plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, get that side of it also. Um, I'm also kind of curious about uh, what do you think? And this is another, I'm throwing a new question at you. Um, you had mentioned that you were in programming and then what's so interesting to me about programming is it's, you know, I think it's zero one, not one, two, right. In programming yes. zero one. So did you find that helpful since, you know, you did have, uh, I'll say a need, 
for having enrichment that that was helping you to either process information differently and how would you relate the ability to program to working with people because i find it very interesting um that there i think there is a relationship there with it there absolutely is uh, i think it was helpful for me because my my preference is a world without structure if i'm if i'm honest because okay. i like change i like the flexibility i like the i like being able to evolve my perspectives and and experience new things and in order to do that at scale i need some level of absence of process and structure mm. but a world that is completely void of those things is also not uh, conducive to being productive at all times mm -hmm. because everything can become a distraction. So I think uh, my time spent uh, in programming and in a, in, in an IT capacity gave me an appreciation for process and structure. Um, it also taught me some very interesting approaches to problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, if you write people are every shade of gray every shade of every color that you can imagine no two people are the same there's always an unknown factor which means entering into a problem solving experience that is focused on people you're always going to have that unknown you're always going to have to try and look at unconventional um, approaches and in programming because it is ones and zeros there is a limited number of, of variations to experience but for for anybody that's listening who has experience as a programmer who's had um, one of one of these experiences um trying to find the needle in the haystack is a very real challenge mm -hmm. in the programmer world um, there was a project i was working on and we were trying to execute some automation um, automating some systems and tools and processes for a government agency at the time. And we kept running the scripts over and over and not getting the expected outputs. And we went through tens of thousands of lines of code each. We had a team of 20 people that I was managing and we divided it up. We're all looking for what's the, what's the reason? Why is this happening? And after about two days of searching and everybody exchanging their stacks and right, I'm gonna now look at the stack you just looked at to see if I see something you didn't see. We were able to identify that there was a comma in one place where there should have been a period yeah, in a line of code. And in order to get there, we had to take ourselves out of the situation for a minute and, and rethink how we approached it because on the surface, there was nothing that was incorrect. Um, any sort of system search or automation to find these errors didn't recognize that because a comma has a place in the code just the same as a period has a place in the code. It didn't know what the expected outcome was. And so it didn't flag it for anybody as a, as a quick thing. So we ended up having conversations. And the conversations we had, we talked about when we have seen things go wrong before, when we have seen things not work and how much of a challenge it was to find the answer. And that led us to an exercise, which then quickly resulted in there it is. But it was, uh, it gave me a different approach to problem solving that was rooted a little bit more in structure 
um, process of elimination versus my preference for lead with gut. Uh, (laughs) and, and it translates well to the people side of the business, um, because you do have in, in some cases you have one aspect of people that is very black and white, very much one and zero, um, right. These are my values. They are absolute. I do not deviate from them and I can't approach that situation with the expectation that I'm going to unseat you from your values. I have to understand how to take those into account as we navigate a problem or a situation together. So you said a couple of things there and, you know, I've taught um, APA writing to college level people. And when you mentioned the comma, that's something that I've said when I'm teaching also in a, you know, adult learners, I try to make that connection between uh, what they're writing and their career path and why that will matter. And that was a scenario that I had also used with them too. I had said, so you guys really have to have really very high attention to detail with how you're charting your notes because your period or that comma, you could either kill somebody because you could overdose them or you could make it so that there's just like, there's nothing that's happening for them. So you really need to be thinking about what it is you're writing. And the fact that they were having to write a term paper was not what they wanted to do because, you know, they're in the medical field, but I, I worked very hard to make things that when I'm teaching adults, again, you know, everybody learns differently is to tie together why whatever they were working on has value in the working place. And the fact that you were mentioning the comment, I went, wow, you must be a really good translator for your software team, because that was as a whole scenario. I'm going to take this back, what you just said. And because my software team, when they're doing things, they're trying to figure out like where the problem is and a comma. And you just told me that part of it is, well, it doesn't recognize that. And so what they end up doing is making it a comment and they comment it out and then they start all over again. And then you also reminded me of how what you're doing is very similar to accounting. So, you know, that one little, one little thing, whether it's a period or if it's, you know, a letter, you know, like from and form, they could, they're both words, you know, we, we don't find that mistake. That, that human factor is so critical because that's how you were able to figure it out. The machine could not. Yes. I love that. And it, it, it's it's a good reminder that uh, humanity needs to stay front and center in, in our experiences with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. You're like that was brilliant. That was thinking <laughs> like a scientist. There you go. <laughs> you got it down. Yeah. All right. So talking about your career journey, but let's go to the name Skooks. What is that? How did that name come about? That's such an unusual name. It is, um, it's an unusual name, but it all makes sense when I tell you the story and I'll try okay. to try to high level it and fast track. Cause I, I can, I can do it in about three hours or I can do it in about 30 seconds. I'm going to try to give you the 30 second version. Yeah. And it's okay. We'll have questions or our listeners. They may have questions. We'll see. <laughs> our, um, our founders were on a mission to, uh, so they were, 
working through building a company and had reached a point where they were looking to source a learning platform, mm -hmm. uh, not having ever used one before. And so they right, were trying to figure out what, um, what the needs might be and what to expect. And in the process, realized that none of the solutions they looked at actually met what their expectations were. And in all fairness, they didn't have a lot of expectations, but they just knew that what they saw wasn't it. Mm -hmm. And so this created a an inspiration for them to challenge the, the world as we know it from a learning technology perspective. Um, so they set out to disrupt the space to create something that was a, a bit more transformational. And um, so it's a play on the term school, yeah. but taking the L at the end and converting it to an X, which signals um, transformation, disruption. Um, there's also some homage to our Greek heritage, our, our founding team, our uh, brilliant Greek individuals. And uh, X has a really prominent feature in their society as well. So we take all of those elements and put them together. And it's really just our product was named after our intention to disrupt or reimagine what learning technology could and should be. You know, many times we've seen, um, you know, it says AI or VR or um, AR, all of these augmented reality, but we've also seen where like even a C-suite name gets the word X or letter uh, after it. So C something X or HRX. And it's there for our listeners. You just said it for the word, uh, making sure that it's about extreme. It's like to the max, to the wall. You push those boundaries there. That's good stuff. Yes. And we have, we have managed to live up to that expectation for ourselves. Yeah, I I really was intrigued. Well, first off, you you're speaking when I've gone to two of you speaking uh, engagements, I said, I go, I always want to know more. And so that takes me to your booth. And so you're really good at pulling in the audience, I think, and um, being a very good speaker that can drive traffic to your uh, product. But I also feel like um, you give a lot of value in your presentations. And I'm pretty sure the, the customer um, experiences that also with your product because it sounds very thoughtful. Absolutely. Our, our customers give us the highest of marks on the experience they have. Yeah. Um, so you're a learning management system and yeah, an LMS. Yes. So what does that mean for our listeners that may not know that word? Uh, well, for, for those that do know that word, um, they're probably flinching because LMS are three of the most hated letters in all of learning and development. Um, but learning um, LMS or learning management system is a term designed to describe technology that was intended to manage the learning process, mm -hmm. uh, meaning things like assignment of training and completion tracking and um, those general types, organizing learning content into structured engagements like courses and curricula are the, the hallmarks that reflect what a learning management system does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how many courses are in your, your product that people can take advantage of? Um, we have a, uh, we have a marketplace that we've curated from an, a wide range of content providers 
Um, so right now there are, I think we're approaching about 20,000 off the shelf titles that are available for our customers to purchase and add to their current learning experiences. So it's not, it's not necessary for you to build everything. Um, we're in 2022 and there's a good chance that a majority of the core topics have already been built as learning objects. So there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Um, so we've got a, a large chunk that you can just pull off the shelf and plug right in and allow your teams to focus on things that are geared more toward personalizing content applicability to your environment. So we can teach you some of the courses might be customer service basics as an example. And then you and your learning team can spend more time focusing on how do you bring that to life in your culture for your company and not reinventing the wheel, which then means you don't have time to do that next critical step. Yeah. So the courses can be on demand, right? Yes. Continuous learning. Do they have certifications? Um, there are some certification programs available as well. That's cool. That's very good. Because that's a big trend too, is to have, you know, badges or gamified learning or things that are built around certifications. So it's keeping up with any of those CEUs that are out there. Yes. And between education units for our listeners. Trying also to, uh, we've, we've, built the product in a way that is designed to remove the, the technical barrier that sometimes presents itself as an impediment to learning um, and make it easy to find what you need. We make it easy to take what you need and we make it easy for you to prove that you took what you took. <laughs> All right. So you're a member of Forbes HR Council and you were quoted on a topic of emotional intelligence as a way to be relatable to people. So the article, what vulnerable and self-aware tips uh, that you would possibly share with our listeners? Um, if you recall some of those, I may be putting you on the spot again, but you know, this it's, is what you um, breathe. I'm pretty sure you, you can do them without any hesitation. Yes. Um, the, the number one thing I brought forward in that particular article uh, was around uh, the power and value of being vulnerable as a leader, but also being self-aware. Mm -hmm. And um, when you can bring both of these things forward, it allows you to create connections in ways that you couldn't otherwise do. Um, these connections also allow you, uh, the, the vulnerability in particular allows you to take down some of those shields that um, your workforce puts up for you. Yeah. Right. As, as an HR person, I know that HR is two letters, much like LMS, that a lot of people don't have positive feelings about. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you work in HR or whether you are working in a company that has HR, employees don't tend to say HR is my friend. Mm -hmm. And oh. it's it's the opposite. The intention is to be there to provide support, to be there to help our employees find their greatest potential at your organization, help them recognize what their greatest potential could be, even if it's outside your organization. And um, in addition to the, the mention about vulnerability and self-awareness, I also talked about authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of what you were saying around my approach to speaking engagements, I I lead with authenticity, um, and I try always to let that be at the forefront. There were a number of years early in my career that I didn't feel comfortable doing that, um, 
because I, I viewed it as a negative. I viewed it as a sign of weakness because I saw that mirrored in some of the cultures and environments that I worked in. And what I found is quite the opposite. When you can tap into that, magical things can happen. Employees can open up. When they open up, they can share feedback. And guess what? When you have feedback, that means you're learning new stuff. And when you learn new stuff, you can take action. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's sort of a domino effect. And I can't affect change with you in mind if I'm not getting feedback from you. Mm-hmm. And that that vulnerability and that authenticity are two of the ingredients that are critical to forging that trusted relationship that that yields the good insights. So do do you use a lot of surveys? Are your people good about contributing to surveys? Yes. Um, so we do have a weekly pulse survey that we send out. It's one or two questions um, as part of an, an employee sentiment survey solution. Uh, not something that we sell as part of our product, but it's a product I subscribe to as an HR practitioner. Yeah. And um, our employees respond to this every week. And there's a suggestion box. There are two or three just multiple choice questions. And then an opportunity for an open-ended response. And all of these things give us a picture of employee sentiment. Um, and, and ultimately what I tell people, sometimes I get the, well, I have a stupid question or I have a stupid piece of feedback. And I always have to, to coach people. The only stupid question, in my opinion, is the one that goes unasked. Yeah. The only silly or non-valuable piece of feedback that you have is the piece that you don't share. And it's when you share it that I know it. And once I know it, I can do something with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And that's where we say that so many times. I'm glad to hear it's like one or two questions and that you have good response. That's super good. We, we, we love that. And OD and in HR, because it's always about, we need you to talk with us. Yes, we know what the books have told us about the function of HR, but those books do not take into account real people. They don't take into account the people at your current organization. Um, You have to layer that in. And the only way you can do that is by involving and engaging and getting the feedback and creating that trust. Yeah, I wrote an article about multidimensional learning because the people are complex and there's so many dimensions to a person, you know, and we've talked about this before because I can sit here and go, okay, there's whatever, you know, technology came around when you were born. There's also the generation that you were born into. Um, There's your personality type. There's environmental things. There's familiar things. There's so many dimensions to what makes up a, a person and all of these things matter. Um, I'm going to take a quick little break so we can acknowledge our sponsor. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And so we're back to the second half of our show and we're going to be talking about the future of work, but I am going to pull a couple of other questions in here that just uh, show obviously Matt as just a very fun person because he is that also. So what is your favorite meal that you can whip up with four ingredients? Uh, Well, Ah, so I, I am, uh, 
I'm a dessert first kind of guy mm-hmm. and dessert doesn't necessarily constitute a meal for most people. It always will for me. So my favorite meal that I can whip up in four ingredients is uh, a no-bake lemon icebox pie. Yum. It is easy, quick, and so delicious. Okay, so give the <laughs> ingredients here. So the ingredients, um, you start with a can of your favorite frozen juice, in this case, lemonade. So frozen lemonade from concentrate. Um, there is sweetened condensed milk. There is Cool Whip. And um, you can choose the fourth ingredient depending on your your flavor profile and preference. You can go cream cheese with it. You can go with a heavy whipping cream, um, or you can do something a little bit different and and caramelize some sugar to fold in to give it a little bit of heft. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to give you a recipe. I didn't do this before, but I'm going to give you one. And this one's super easy. All things that you can just buy off the shelf. One is an Oreo crust, you know, graham cracker crust. You get the Oreo graham cracker. I I think it's just Oreo crust. And then you get, um, I'm not a coffee drinker at all, but you can get coffee ice cream. You let it soften and then you put it in the Oreo crust. You can also buy a bottle of if you want, but I like to make my hot fudge by scratch. That's the only thing I do make, but put hot fudge on top of it and then sprinkle pecans, freeze that baby. So yummy. You know. That is delicious. I do not know the recipe, but I will okay. be making it very soon. Okay. And so I, <laughs> you don't. Have I did to fail to mention the um in my in my four ingredients. I did not account for the crust because I, I can literally eat the filling with a spoon and be perfectly fine. But put it in your crust of choice as well. Um, and for variety, change out the lemonade with limeade or orange juice or any any frozen juice okay. concentrate. Pink mm-hmm. lemonade is my my alternate that I do very often. Yeah, I would say all of those are good. Uh, you could also probably do it with like a Coco Lopez or something. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah. I have something new to try. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Just, I, I also don't really drink, but you can use a lot of those things that you make really cool drinks with and, you know, dial that recipe up some. Yes. Okay. So my second question that I'm going to ask you just to get a little bit different perspective here is, um, I like this one. We're going to repeat this one again. What is the challenge that you experienced in your life that could have been perceived as negative, but has actually made you a better person? Um, I, and I love, I love this question so much. Um, as you could imagine, just from the anecdotes I've shared earlier in the, the conversation today, I might've been a handful, um, which means that there are probably a long list <laughs> of experiences that could have been perceived as a negative, yeah. um, that, that ultimately made me a better person. But I think, um, the one that I really talk about often is, um, and I mentioned it already in our conversation today, I experienced a health condition, um, the onset of a health condition, which is a, a blood clotting disorder, um, early in my life at the age of 16. And as someone who, as, as a 16-year-old who was very, very involved in athletics, and I was just on the go all the time, um, being sidelined when you have this condition emerge and, and the doctors are telling you, you probably need to basically wrap yourself in a bubble, mm-hmm. um, right? Don't do things that are going to jar your body. Don't do things that are going to be high impact, which means basically all the sports I played 
I needed to stop. Really hard um, for a 16-year-old guy. Really hard. Yeah. And initially, I did view it as a negative, as as I think everyone would. It's natural. I kind of went through that victim mode at the beginning. Why me? Why me? I'm 16. What did I do to deserve this? And, um, you know, that's that's a common place for us to start. But I also was able to pull out of that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it taught me so many great things. And I, I will cite it to this day as one of the greatest gifts I've ever received in my life. Um, mm-hmm. That experience taught me so much about humility. Mm-hmm. At 16, we don't possess a lot of humility. No. Um, we believe, right? We believe nothing is wrong. We believe we are invincible. It taught me humility, patience, empathy, determination. Um, it really fueled my drive mm-hmm. um and and it solidified for me that persistence is pretty high on my list of tools that i rely on all the time yeah and um as i grew through that um different moments in my life i've been able to look back and cite that as a positive defining moment that has affected my career it ultimately um, I could say with confidence, I don't think I would be in the role I'm in today. I don't think I would be at this organization that I'm at today. I don't think I would be doing the speaking engagements that I've done without that experience. Mm-hmm. Everything does change our perspective. And I know you've said something um, earlier, and I'm going to use this again. I think you've got like, really like your your whole attitude about life in general, but Nobody has to do anything for us. No one, no one, parents, siblings, no spouses, no kids, no, nobody. And if we remember that it's not all about us, this is my big takeaway of everything that you've been sharing. It's, it's not about us. It's really about other people and how we can, you know, provide, just be there for them. We'll say, just yes. be there. Um, that makes the biggest difference. So when I get an email response or a text or anything, not just a response, but when somebody reaches out to me, I sit here and I go, oh, I'm, you know, it's nice to know somebody thought of me and I'm grateful for those things. And so gratitude, I'm going to add that as another word to your list because you you seem like you're very grateful for hardships as well as the joy that comes out of hardships. And people don't always see that dot, those dots connecting. It's, um, it really is about that, that moment of learning. Um, and, and honestly, you know, the optimism was something that was definitely fueled by that moment, by that event, it continues to be tested, um, because this is a thing that will be with me for my whole life. And the challenges that I've experienced up to this point don't necessarily reflect all the challenges that I could experience because it's science in the human body, which is anything but predictable. Okay. <laughs> so much. So let's jump over to the part about um, COVID. COVID's impact on uh, where we are now. What do you think it's going to be in 2030? Because honestly, I've done research. COVID has always been around. It's been around for like years, years and years. Different name, but it's been around. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it stuck with us for two years and it changed how we did business. What do you think it's going to look like going into the future if health is a factor? Um. You know, I think, uh, honestly, I think there's been so many positive impacts 
that we've seen that will will change the trajectory as we go forward. I think um, I, I look back and recount my time at other companies and my time working as a as a vendor with other companies where I've witnessed the close-mindedness to something as as innocent as the idea of working remote, right? For years, generations, we have been conditioned to believe you are only valuable if I can see your butt in that seat doing the work. Mm -hmm. And we have been able to kind of release ourselves from those shackles, which has also given us the benefit of globally accessible talent. I'm no longer limited to the talent that is in my backyard where my physical office is located. I can now find talent anywhere. Um, Understanding there are some jobs that do need to be localized, but by and large, being able to expand the work community also takes us further into that diversity of perspectives and experiences that really allow us to to rethink and reimagine how we can do things differently and better as we go forward. Um, Technology is going to be really interesting as well from from an LMS perspective. The um, you know learning tech in and of itself has evolved quite heavily over the last 25 to 30 years. We see it happen in cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, tends to be every five to 10 years, there's a big advance or a new slice in the market, right? We had learning management and then learning management, learning content management, and then we had learning experience platforms. And then we've seen the introduction of concepts like AR and VR and AI into the learning conversation. So I think um, over the last 10 years, there's been a huge amount of evolution uh, with a lot of it concentrated in the last two to three years specifically, because we had to navigate such a substantial shift and change. I think as we go forward, uh, we're likely to see the broader commercialization or widespread adoption of some of the robot or automated technology. Um, In learning for the last few years, I've heard AI and AR and VR come up time and time again. But when you try to dig into practical application on the job, it's been kind of light. There are certain certain areas, so in in medical um, areas in particular, these things have proven to be incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. But it's very limited. It's very isolated in the use case. And I think we're going to see that expand quite a bit. Uh, The other thing that I think we're going to see happen in general is uh, when we learn how to integrate and adopt the advances in technology in effective ways, it's going to allow us to go deeper in our ability to personalize the experiences that our employees have. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and right, they're telling us today, they told us through the disruption of COVID that one size fits all approaches to a people oriented environment doesn't work. Um, it's never fully worked. It's been good for a majority, right? 50, 55% of the people are good with it, but then you've got a good chunk that are not really good without that personalization. And we have often viewed that as a barrier. And we viewed that as something that requires more resources than we have. It requires more time than we have to create such a personalized experience. And I think we'll see the advance of those other complementary technologies really find a path to help amplify that personalization. 
So I'm going to give you a question that you're, you're not going to know is coming. I always like to preface that. So you're prepared. So <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think science fiction movies actually give us a glimpse as to what can happen. And I think that the people that are behind science fiction, the writers, those people that are the creators, I'm sure they do quite a bit of research to be able to see, well, what do you think? Is Terminator a real thing or not? Could it be how the world ends? Who knows? But they create that. And I think that science fiction, it indicates, because I don't know about you, but do you ever remember the Jetsons? I, the Jetsons was top of mind. Um, Flying cars, right? Well, what's even more entertaining is that children who are born today in 2022 are likely to look at the Jetsons and view it as a reflection of the past. Yeah. And I saw something I haven't been able to verify, but I saw something pop up the other day on um, one of the social media sites. And it was a, a meme that was talking about the Jetsons and that George Jetson's birthday was actually August 27th, 2022, mm -hmm. because the time frame that we were looking at in the Jetsons was actually 2042 and 2048. Um, so if you think about it, technically George Jetson is being born in a month from now um, in the timeline of that. That's it's, it's Kind of wild to think because it was released <laughs> not yesterday. Right? I mean, it was, it's a while back. We're not going to say because we don't want to be throwing our age out there, right? <laughs> That's okay. But the, the thing is, cartoons, I love children's movies so very much because I think it really puts people in touch with just being very, uh, transparent i'm not, i don't even think that's a word that a child would know but just being real i think that's what a child would say so just being real being here being able to question everything with sincerity not because they're trying to be difficult but i think that children's movies and science fiction movies are the best thing around because i i believe that's where we can see well what would the future look like is it utopia or is it going to be like everything's crashing and that it taps into that curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, I often uh, connect a lot with, uh, when I talk about learning today, I talk about um, how we really win in learning, how we make a difference in learning. From my own personal experience, um, as I've shared, right? sometimes the way we craft it, the way we do it, because it's been done that way for years and years, doesn't always hit the mark. When we can understand how to change our perspective children are sponges yes for for knowledge they soak up everything they pick up the words you say they pick up the concepts that you even if they don't fully understand it but they do this they write they run up to a bumblebee because they want to see what the bumblebee is about they don't know it might sting them but it's a curiosity mm -hmm. and as adults we lose that curiosity we put up some boundaries that force us to not feel comfortable in that place of curiosity, which means we shut off our ability to learn quite a bit. Yeah. What's your favorite science fiction movie? Do you have one? And if you have more than one, it's okay. You can say. There's, uh, hmm. I don't know if I could just pick one. Right. Mad Max. I sit here and go, I don't know. Is that what our world's going to look like? I look at a lot of these kind of movies and I go, could that could be our future? If we don't change, you know, it very well could. I think it's a cautionary tale type of uh, stories that we we see them as. 
Would you, um, would you consider space balls to fit the, Oh my God. <laughs> the mold of science fiction, because that's. <laughs> Love it. Okay. We can go to movies together. <laughs> i'm totally loving this conversation all right (laughs) yeah we are there yes uh, i would pick any of those guardians of the galaxy i i love that one i love any of the avenger movies you know throw them all Mm. at me they're all good um i would pick any i'm very team oriented and i'm also i love superhero movies so whether it's batman who's is he a superhero yeah he has some he has a lot of money to spend on stuff that's for sure but you know you can look at tony stark or any of them anything anything between them you know wonder woman all of them are amazing and i love those so i would pick those kind of movies first as my first ones i would also pick the matrix i think the matrix is probably Mm. very real as to what the direction that we're going if we are not going to be careful yes yeah it it um gives me a little anxiety when i think about it too much yeah because i right I, i like to look at it for the entertainment value but then there are times when the brain goes into that going how how much of this could be yeah right real right it's all good. It's all good. So, all right. So the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners, what would that be? Um, I would have to say, um, find a path to be unapologetically who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, also find a, an appreciation for being fearless, not globally generally fearless across the board but fearless in terms of trying new things gaining new perspectives meeting new people Um, you never know when you're going to be inspired Mm -hmm. to your own next level of greatness just by being exposed to things that you've not ever seen or experienced before Mm -hmm. i'll tell you my favorite one uh eleanor roosevelt no one can make you feel inferior without your permission it's just a reminder as yes. to how much power you have individually. So walk away from anybody that's not good for you. Yes, that is a very hard lesson to learn and apply. Yes. Um, but when you do, it is very freeing. <laughs> it is. I was having that as a conversation with somebody yesterday, and uh, they were saying how they had to walk away from family members that were it was just, it was not healthy any longer. It was toxic. And that can sometimes happen with family as well as with friends or workplaces. So the, um, I, as you were talking through that, there's one other piece of advice that I would give, um, which is make sure that you understand the importance of self-care. Oh gosh. Um, and, and this relates to a lot of things uh, I think PTO time off is an easy place to to articulate or or punctuate the um, the sentiment. But a lot of times we feel guilt. I personally, for a majority of my career, felt guilty taking a day off mm-hmm. when I wasn't going somewhere or doing something. I felt guilty okay. just taking a day off to do nothing. I because like mental health days to me, you need them. I am um, yes, and and. Um, 
at, at one point when the terminology around mental health day was introduced um, several years back, there was also a, a stigma attached to it. Yeah. I didn't want to say that's what it was. Um, so we just, right. I come from the Grin and Barrett generation, <laughs> right. Yeah. You just, you just dig in and get through it. And um, in the last couple of years, specifically since I've been at Skooks, um, we place self-care at the top of our priority list. We place mental health and wellness, physical health and wellness at the top of our list. And in order to activate that in the culture, you have to lead by example. So it forced me to, to work through my own issues, to figure out how I get to that place. And, and I can tell you that one PTO break, my first PTO break that I took where I had no plans, I wasn't going anywhere. I just took three or four days off in a row because I needed to model the behavior. What I learned during that time was life-changing. Um, Did you rest more? Did you like sleep? I I didn't. Um, but I also didn't, I allowed myself to just go where the day took me because I, I didn't have any plans. There weren't any things that I had to do at a specific time. And so I just let myself go wherever the adventure took me. Mm-hmm. And um, I allowed myself to be okay and to quiet that inner voice when I just sat down and decided to watch some mindless television. Mm-hmm. Instead of my brain saying, no, no, you're an able-bodied person. You can get up and go do some laundry. You can go do this. You can go do that. And my brain said, okay, I need you to be quiet. My heart said, I need you to be quiet Yeah. because I just need this break. I just need this time. And since then, uh, we we try to, to promote for our employees to take at least one day off every month just to give a break. Mm-hmm. Let your brain change gears focus on something that's good for you, walk in the grass barefoot on that day, mm-hmm. um, right? Just go out and soak up the sunshine, um, go have a meal with friends or go to a movie by yourself or do whatever you feel compelled to do, Yeah. but allow yourself the freedom and the grace to shut it off and have that break from work. Weekends aren't necessarily a break right? Weekends are when we cram all the stuff in that we can't get to during the week because we work. And so having those breaks is incredibly valuable and um, prioritizing your own self-care is critical. A couple of examples, because I kind of feel like your company is the same culture mindset. Um, I read on LinkedIn that Rachel Carlson with, you know, Guild Education, she was taking I think she said three months, but I am not sure. I can't imagine her being gone for three months, but a substantial amount of time being gone. So she could renew and all of that. She wasn't going to be checking social feeds. She's just really, she's got young children and she was going to spend time with her children and her husband. And I went, that's super cool. So the other thing is HubSpot. They really, really invest heavily and they're my CRM company. They give at five years, which is a great strategy to, um, you know, keep that engagement and retention at when you hit a five-year uh, mark with the company, you, they give you $5,000 and 30 days off and say, go do something. Have fun. I have, um, <clears throat> I've actually been exploring um, a number of companies that offer uh, sabbatical as part Unlimited of their vacation. wellness 
program. Yeah. So we we offer unlimited PTO, uh, which when we changed and launched that program, it was a shift that required a lot of change management support for the reasons that I described. People felt guilty taking time off. Uh, people felt like it was some sort of a trap because mm-hmm. I've been at companies that have made the conversion to unlimited PTO. And the, the question is always in the back of your mind, is there some number that I need to stay away from? Yeah. Like when, when I reach 15 days, is that the breaking point where I get a mark put on my, my, um, profile that says, nope, nope, this person's taking excessive time off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a way to, to sort of reinforce that we started having open conversations about the realities. We had a lot of open dialogue around mental health and wellness. We brought in external speakers to try and help amplify the message. When we are depleted, we are not good for anyone else. That is true. Um, and as HR, we are the support system for our employees. And if we as HR are depleted, we can't be effective. We can't be our best selves and offering the best support. Um, so it, uh, as I've been doing research around what other companies have done from a long-term perspective, I'm starting starting to notice in some of the more dynamic organizations like HubSpot where they are offering um, a tenure-based milestone sort of sabbatical, whether it be a 30-day or a 60-day or up to, I've seen even up to a three-month sabbatical where the expectation is go and recharge. And by recharge, I mean like fully recharge, take this time to reevaluate, take this time to to really find your passion and explore it. Mm. And when you come back, we are excited to learn what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could be talking for a long time. I already know. How can people reach out to you? Because on our show notes, typically what we do is we provide your LinkedIn profile and the company website. Do you want to have other social channels where people can connect with you or the company? Um, I think those are the the two best places. So our company website, skooks.com, um, our company LinkedIn feed, where you'll, you'll get to learn more about us as an organization, as well as um, some of the, the wonderful thought leadership we put out there to advance the conversations and learning. And then also my, my personal LinkedIn page. Um, I, I'm very active in a number of communities and I uh, am constantly out there trying to find more content that helps expand my perspectives. So I, I like to spark a good discussion out there every once in a while. And just for our listeners, if you're looking for Matt, you're going to find him as Matthew W. Brown. If you're looking for him on LinkedIn. Yes. And, um, Twitter is uh, my Twitter handle is M W B D A W G M W B D A G D A W G. So M W B are my initials and dog. Um, because why not? <laughs> I don't know. I was going to <laughs> Georgia fan. <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs, maybe. (laughs) I'm thinking, maybe, maybe you might be. I was. I'm. I'm a Louisiana native. Um, Okay. So the uh, the Bulldogs are actually a rival. Um, My my neighbors are are UGA graduates, and so there's a good healthy LSU Georgia rivalry that takes place. But uh, at, at the moment that I created that Twitter handle, it just felt like it was right and appropriate. It made me chuckle a little bit. 
Okay. Now this is totally inappropriate question to ask, but can you slip into Southern slang very easily? Do you have a twang when you talk? Because um, I do. Okay. I, I do when I get tired uh, in particular, when I get tired or I am sleep deprived, all of the eyes become very long. So it's lot and bright and, and you really get that Southern draw that comes through. But generally speaking, I have been enough places. I've traveled enough that I have managed to neutralize a lot of it, but it does, it does make itself known at times. Okay. <laughs> well, I want to thank you. This has been delightful. I like this episode better than the first one that didn't work out. So I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is a pleasure. And I look forward to several more opportunities to collaborate. Feelings mutual. All right. Well, you take care. And for our listeners, you're going to love this episode. So we want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our production team, video interns, Christian Flowers and Daniel Conti. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. And if you would like to share your inclusion tip of the week on our show, record it. Send the audio file into us at info at e4c.tech. Be sure to include your name, your job role, and where you work if you want to. But we will email you our Intern Pursuit game background so you can have some really cool looking planets behind you and screen screens. And then you reminder to all of our listeners, go visit us at Employers for Change is www.e, the number four, the letter C, dot tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future work. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper and subscribe to our show youtube subscribe to us we want to boost those up help us gamify this all right thanks people